You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome in to a shortened Who Dat Wednesday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The Houston Astros headed to the bottom of the fourth. They are tied 2-2 with the Los Angeles Angels. Currently, we've got some college baseball to recap we've got some college softball to get to there was another transfer portal shakeup in cajun country and a new orleans native returns to wear the black and gold all that and more coming up on today's edition of crunch time before we get you set for saint thomas more baseball a little delayed because of good old mother nature they will now start at 5 30 Pre-game with Danny Jones beginning at 5.15. My main man, my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Wednesday. How the hell are you? I'm doing all right, Matt. How about you on this Wednesday? I'm I'm happy to hear that you're doing all right. Yeah. Because your Boston Celtics were not quite all right. No, not even close. Um, That was what we say in Lafayette as... Not pa, optimal. Paul Ball. That too. That, that was Paul Ball. It, it was not good. And, you know, you can look at the stat line and say, oh, well, you know, Jason Tatum had 36. Cat looked lost all game long. All of them did, actually. I was going to say the whole team was in fits. I, I watched, and, and, you know, it, it's hard for me to watch the NBA when I don't have a team in the fight. But last night, I was very intrigued to see how last night's game was going to go. So I watched three quarters of it. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have watched any. And <laughs> maybe they would have won if I didn't watch any. I think you're just the I, you're just the voodoo curse. You, you used to call me the kiss of death. You so are. Maybe, yeah. maybe that returned. The but eyes of death. I watched this game, and I questioned whether or not Boston knew that they were playing at home. I I questioned whether or not they knew that they had support behind them. Because, man, a bunch of people paid some hard-earned money to watch them play, and they're probably asking for their money back. Because that was not great. 115 to 103, they fought a Philly last night. Joel Embiid with 33 points to lead the way for the 76ers. But, you know, Joel Embiid got 33. He was the leading scorer for the Celtics. That's I mean, for the 76ers, that's fine and dandy. The story is Tyrese Maxey. The rookie plays 42 minutes, shoots 10 of 21 from the field, 6 of 12 from downtown. He scores 30, pours in 7 rebounds and 3 assists as well on the night with only one turnover to boot. What a performance from the rookie and then James Harden doing James Harden things. 17 points, 10 assists, 
eight rebounds as well. Now this series, with Philly up 3-2, now this series goes to Philly, and the 76ers have the opportunity to close this thing out. James, can Joe Missoula and the Celtics force a Game 7 and bring it back to the Garden? I think they can because you had kind of seen this same thing last year when it came to Game 6, Game 7 against the Bucks, They were down. Jason Tatum had the what felt like the game of his life to keep them alive, and then they went back home and won it there. Um, and it kind of felt like the same thing with the Miami Heat last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they can win Game 6 and give me the hopeless hope of going to a Game 7. Going back home, oh, that's but gonna, that's going to break your heart. But I think Philly will end up winning Game Seven. Like I think no matter what, whether Philly wins this next game or not, Philly still wins Game Seven and wins the series. We'll get to Denver and Phoenix here in just a moment. Let's go to the Diamond now. LSU picking up a in-state win last night over Northwestern State, fourteen to four. In seven innings, LSU now back on the winning track, thirty-eight and ten on the season. They're sixteen and seven. In the SEC, the story of this game came in the second inning. With LSU down one to nothing. How about back to back to back? Tommy White, Cade Beloso, Hayden Travinsky hitting back to back solo shots to suddenly make it three to one LSU. Northwestern State would answer with a solo shot of their own and the second to make it three to two. But I mean, in the third, excuse me, but between the bottom of the third and the bottom of the fifth, LSU would score eight runs to make it 11 to two. And then an RBI, a two RBI double from Tommy White in the sixth, an RBI double from Travinsky right after. That was pretty much all she wrote. 14 to four, again, in a seven inning run rule. LSU will now get set to welcome Mississippi State to Alex Box Stadium this weekend before they host McNeese in their final midweek game. And then next weekend, they will be on the road in Athens, Georgia to take on the Bulldogs. Meanwhile, speaking of Bulldogs, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns gave one away last night. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, there's there's no other way to describe how last night went. The Cajuns gave it away. Right, because you got down early in the second because you gave up four runs. You battled back. You got four of yourself in the fifth inning, and you ended up being up eight to six. Eight to six after going into the bottom of the seventh. And then you just fell apart. And then in the bottom of the seventh, bases loaded. You walk in a run to give them to make it eight to seven. And then... Birchfield hits a grand slam to make it 11 to 8. And then Brody Drost comes up in the eighth and just hits another homer just to, puts it away. Just to sprinkle a little salt on the wound, if you will, and uh, made it 12 to 8. I, I said this about LSU when we were talking about the losses to Auburn. You cannot, cannot walk in runs and expect to win a game. One run, three runs, it doesn't really matter. You can't walk in runs and expect to win a baseball game. It's just not going to happen. You can't give them free points. 
You got to make them earn it. Because here's the thing. We, we talk about how Tech jumped out to a 3-2 lead. Let's not forget that the Cajuns jumped out to a 2-0 lead first. Yeah. So you had the lead, gave it away, put yourself in a four-run hole, crawled out of it, took a two-run lead again. That's it. Here you go. This, this whole being in the lead, this whole winning thing, doesn't sound like us tonight. Here you go. You not, have it. Not a big fan of it. And now, look, the, the, the window of opportunity for an at-large bid was ever so minuscule. But that's closed now. Because with the win last night, Louisiana Tech is back at 500. Their RPI is chilling in the 140s, 150s. And you're in the 80s. Oh, yeah. That that window of opportunity, you could go 6-0 and the rest of the way. Sweep Texas State, sweep Southern Miss. I don't think it matters. I don't think it would matter. I do not think that it would help you. You have to win the conference tournament now if you want to make a regional. Which... With the conference that we're seeing right now with Marshall, or excuse me, with Southern Miss and Coastal Carolina and Texas State, whew, good luck. That is not going to be an easy task. I'm not saying it can't be done. And I'm not saying that this Cajun team isn't capable of doing it. But it is not going to be easy. And if pitching doesn't get it together, because that's where you lost it last night. Let's be, let's be, perfectly clear on something the Cajuns got 15 base hits last night the offense was there pitching lost you the game let let's let's look at this James because this just reading it sounds crazy so I have to say it out loud you got 15 base hits yet still managed to strike out 11 times that that's wild to me And then you left 10 runners on base. 10 opportunities to cross runs in, and and you hung them out to dry. But look, when you give up 11 hits and you walk 8, you gave them 19 base runners. And they converted. Of their 19 base runners, they left 7. They scored 12 runs. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. You had 19 base runners. You left 10. You scored 8. Checks out. Cajun's going to have to be better, and it has to start this weekend when you host Texas State because you have to have some sort of confidence, momentum, whatever word you want to use headed into that conference tournament because otherwise it's 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 not going to be pretty but you know talking about the grand slam that gave Louisiana Tech the lead that they never gave back let's let's add salt to the wound again Walker Birchfield the man who hit the grand slam he was pinch hitting 
He hadn't even played in the game to that point. He came on to pinch hit and hit a go-ahead grand slam. Yikes. But anyways, en- enough enough battering down on, on my beloved Raging Cajuns. McNeese picks up a 7-3 to win last night, scoring all seven of their runs in the last two innings. They found themselves down 3 to nothing, headed into the bottom of the 8th, or, or after 7, excuse me. And in the top of the 8th, a two-run homer from Josh Leslie, a RBI single from Brad Burkle, and then a four-run ninth inning made it 7-3 to and really put the game on ice as McNeese again picks up a seven to three win. They are now thirty-one and sixteen on the season. Brock Bartholomew picks up the win three and zero on the year. Kate Evans gets the L in the column. He is zero and two on the season. Two hundred and seven people were there to see it last night in Thibodeau. That's probably worked out considering they blew a three nothing lead in the eighth inning. Probably not many Thibodeau fans or Nichols fans wanted to see that. But but I digress. Speaking of LSU, their first game in the SEC tournament for softball was this morning. And, you know, softball's a, a seven-inning game, right? The Tigers and the Rebels said, you know what? Let's play ten. Let, let's, let's drag this out a little bit. Let's have a pitcher's duel and, and drag this one out. Ole Miss hits a two-run homer in the 10th inning to put it away again, 5-3 to three in Fayetteville, Arkansas in the first round of the SEC tournament. Speaking of softball, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns will play their first game in the Sunbelt tournament tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock at Lampson Park. They await the winner of ULM and Georgia State. That game will be played a little later on tonight. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll talk more about the NBA playoffs. Plus, James and I will dive into the Foster Morrow news. Signs a three-year, $12 million contract with the black and gold to return home right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The St. Thomas Moore Cougars are headed to Sulphur for the Division II Select Semifinals, and you can listen to the action live here on the game. Pre-game begins at 5.15, and first pitch is set for 5.30 with Danny Jones on the call. And you can hear it right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 420, almost 421. Real quick, bottom of the fifth over in Lake Charles, McNeese and Texas A&M Corpus Christi tied at one apiece in the first round of the Southland Conference Tournament. James, NBA playoffs, we already talked about the 76ers beating down on your Boston Celtics. Let's talk about the other game last night, the Suns and the Nuggets. Nuggets take a 2-0 lead. 
Phoenix comes back and ties it 2-2 at home. They go back to Denver last night, and, well, Denver takes care of business. Nikola Jokic gets another triple-double. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Devin Booker gets 28, but that wasn't quite enough to corral Denver as they win 118-102. to Kevin Durant with 26 as well for the Suns. But if you look at Denver's stats, 29 from Jokic, you had 19 from Murray, 19 from Michael Porter Jr., 10 from Aaron Gordon, and then coming off the bench. What a spark by Bruce Braun. 25 points from Bruce Brown. 7 of 11 from the field, 9 of 10 at the free throw line, and he added in five rebounds to boot. Who? Bruce Brown? Who? Just kidding, I know who Bruce Brown is, but... You don't hear his name a lot. No, you heard it quite a bit with the with the Nets, though. I remember seeing him a lot when it came to the Celtics Net series. I was like, man, this him man. and Nick Claxton just don't go away. What a performance! Twenty five points on seven of eleven shooting, and now for for what felt like Phoenix had really taken over the momentum in the series. Denver has just pulled it right back. And now it's hard to say who's going to win this series because you really don't know with two games to go. I'm curious. Do you believe that kind of like momentum follows suit when it comes to a game-by-game basis in a playoff series? Yes. You think so? Absolutely. Because I feel like if you're coming off of a win – It works on both sides if you really think about it. Because if you're coming off of a win, you have the momentum, you want to continue that momentum, and you you fight like hell to, to pick up a win. But then on the other side of that, if you're coming off of a loss, you're sitting there as a team going, man, we can't lose two straight. You can't drop another one. So then, you know, you kind of use that as momentum of sorts, motivation to not let yourself lose back-to-back games. So you could really look at it on either side of that coin. Uh, Game six in Phoenix is going to be interesting. Does Kevin Durant and Devin Booker really take control of the game and force a game seven for Phoenix? Or does Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and apparently Bruce Brown ball out and finish the deal and await the winner of the Warriors and Lakers. Because let me tell you something. That series might be 3-1. It's not over. It is not over. The Warriors are going to win tonight. They're going to make things incredibly intriguing. I would not be surprised if they force a Game 7 and then bring it back to San Francisco for said Game 7. This series is far from over. Now, the series in the Eastern Conference is getting played tonight, Miami and New York. Look, the Knicks made it to the second round of the playoffs. You guys haven't done that in a long time. Bravo. But you're done. I found this on the web. Did she? Apparently. Series, series talking to me. You're done. Playoff Jimmy Butler and 
the South Beach voodoo, voodoo, whatever's going on in Miami, man, the, the series is over. It's over. Or do you disagree? Do you think, do you no, think I don't, the Knicks win tonight? I don't disagree at all. I'm, I'm taking the heat. I mean, I'm starting, I'm starting to think the Heat might represent the East in the NBA Finals. I think that 76ers Heat matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be... Oh, so you've, you've already given up hope. I told you. Oh, yeah, I, you, you I think just the Sixers are winning in seven. Yeah, I just, that's right, yeah. that's right, that's right. So Sixers Heat again? Because wasn't that a playoff series like two years ago? Didn't they play? Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm tripping. But it might have been in that 2020 bubble. Oh yeah, maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was. I'm a fact checker. But the Heat have just felt like a, a team that is destined to be here. I mean, Jimmy Butler has played well all season long, battled some injuries, and then in the playoffs has really just flipped a switch and been absolutely incredible. And then you have Bam Adebayo, who has done what he's done most of the year, just kind of being the guy that you know scores 17 or so points a game, gets 8-9 rebounds a night. But doing what they've done... It was last season. It was last season. Okay, so I'm not crazy. It was in the semis, though. Right, but they, but they, did, have, they did play each other, so yeah. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Doing what Miami has done without Tyler Hero, because you and I said it, when Tyler Hero broke his hand in the first round against Milwaukee, you said they were done. They were done. How, how are you gonna How are you gonna win without Tyler Hero? Because it felt like without Tyler, because you look at it, Tyler Hero losing him for the whole time, whereas only losing Giannis Antetokounmpo for a small amount of time. It kind of felt like, well, if you get Giannis back, but then you lose one of your main playmakers and three-point shooters, Miami's already got the disadvantage. I thought it was all them, but no, Jimmy Butler stepped up huge once again for the Miami Heat, took out the one seed, about to take out the Knicks, and then they're probably going to play the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Speaking of, we're going to get to Foster Moreau here in a second, but real quick, while we transition to the New Orleans Saints, you and I talked off the air yesterday about how we wanted to open the season with the Carolina Panthers for obvious reasons. Uh, who, who doesn't want to play a brand-new rookie week one? I mean, we've seen it before where you're like, oh, okay, like 2012, remember that? Yeah, Robert Griffin III, that mm-hmm. was great. Oh, yeah. I was like, that was a great time. I was like, oh, it's a rookie. Saints, they looked great in 2011. I don't care that... Sean Payton and Jonathan Vilma and everybody suspended. He put they the got Saints that. to shame. That was ugly. But anyways, uh, the Carolina Panthers will be on the road against the Atlanta Falcons to open the 2023 season, according to a tweet from Zach Klein. So, if that's the case, could the Saints open the season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is going to be another new quarterback? Is it Baker Mayfield? Is it Kyle Trask? Do they magically pull somebody else to to play quarterback for them? I'm not sure. But whether it's Trask or Mayfield, I like the Saints' chances if it's against Tampa Bay. But no, let's get to let's get to Foster Moreau signs a three year, twelve million dollar contract 
with the New Orleans Saints, the former Jesuit Blue Jay and LSU Tiger is now a member of his hometown NFL team with the New Orleans Saints, who, after being diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma earlier this year, is currently cleared to play football. He has the go-ahead to return to the football field next week, when the, and the Saints will begin their OTA sessions on May 23rd, although it is unclear how much he will be able to participate He was a fourth-round pick of the Raiders in 2019, played with Derek Carr his entire career thus far, and he caught 91 passes for a little over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns during his four seasons in Oakland. Now, James, looking at a guy like Foster Moreau coming into New Orleans, there's a lot of things that he does well. He's a great blocking tight end. He's a good receiving tight end. I'm not going to say he's a great receiving tight end. He's a good receiving tight end. He's a nice, solid option. He stays healthy and has a very good relationship with your new quarterback. However, and again, this is something else that you and I talked about off the air, you have spent a lot of time developing Juwan Johnson to be your tight end. But with Juwan Johnson's stature, build, whatever word you, you want to use at six foot four, here's an idea that I have. Six foot four, 231 pounds. Here's an idea that I have. Couldn't you shift Juwan Johnson into being what you recruited him as. A tall slot receiver. And then line up Foster Moreau at the tight end spot. And if they're both on the field and you run a play-action offense, defenses aren't going to have a clue where you're going. Look, I I don't claim to be a super in-depth, oh, I know every X and every O of, of football. But in my head, that idea seems to make sense. Well, here's the thing. Foster's more of an inline guy where he lines up yeah. more towards the tackle, whereas Juwan, you can do that with him for sure. But you have more flexibility since he is originally a wide receiver. You can still flex him out and put him near the tackles, but still have him close. So you can still run a bunch of that. I still think you would run Jawan as your number one because of his pass catching ability and his ability to get open and break tackles. And then whenever you're going for two tight end sets, yeah, you bring in Foster because at that point, yeah, he's also a solid option to catch the ball. So it wouldn't be a red alert to another team to be like, oh, they're in a two tight end set. They're 100% going to run the ball. I still say with Jawan, you would have him be the tight end one. Now, with this addition, one one thing that I've noticed is when you look at this roster, and especially from an offensive perspective, you have Derek Carr, which is an upgrade over Andy Dalton. We can agree on that. Yo, if anyone's disagreeing with that, go check yourself. You now have a three-headed monster in the backfield, and Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, and Kendra Miller. 
Really excited to see what Kendra can do. I'm super excited to see what Kendra Miller can do. At wide receiver, you hope you'll have Michael Thomas back. Y- y- you should. He-, he at least starts the season, I would hope. Chris Olave, A.C. Perry, Rashid Shahid, Brian Edwards, I'm Foster curious. Moreau, Jawan Johnson. I'm curious to see now if, now that you had drafted A.T. Perry, that creates some big competition because you're not going to look to be like the Chargers and have a gazillion big body tall receivers. I would hope not. So now that you drafted A.T. Perry, that makes things tough for Brian Edwards in my eyes. Because A.T. can go both inside and outside. Yeah. He can. Um, I think it's one of those things where those two are going to have to battle it out, and A.T. Perry might just have to wait his turn. Mm, Interesting. I mean, he's got a four-year deal. He was a sixth-round draft pick. But at that point, would you not be worried about other people snagging him up from the... What's it called? Practice squad? No, you don't you don't put him on the practice squad. You sign him to the fifty three man. Okay. But he's just a rotational piece. Mm. He's a alternate, if you will. Cause we, we, we can we can agree Michael Thomas is not gonna play seventeen games. But well, we just said are we sure we wanna have three big body receivers? I don't know. I don't know. Because at that point, I would rather just put Brian Edwards on the practice squad. And if need be, like Mike gets out, then you got to bring in Brian Edwards. Perfect. Because what's the likelihood that someone's going to be like, oh, yeah, Brian Edwards, bring him. We're going to take him as soon as we can. You know Ooh. what I mean? How about you just cut Traquan? I mean, that'd be great. How about you just cut Traquan? But I don't think they will. I think you should. What's he done? What's he done? Look at his numbers. He makes, he makes a cool catch every. Third or fourth game. Woohoo! Yes, that's what I pay a guy for. Four cool catches a season. And some nice blocking. Bye bye. Bye bye. No, you want to put somebody on the practice put Trick on Smith on the practice squad. That's who goes on the practice squad. Don't cut him, whatever. That's fine. Put him on the practice squad. He does nothing for you. In 2023, you don't have wide receivers to block. That's not the position. That's not how it works. You have wide receivers to catch passes and score touchdowns. That's the job. And if Traquan Smith can't do that, well then, bud, we we got a problem, don't we? Because if you look at it, 2022, oh man, 19 catches on the season. 19 catches in 15 games. So you're paying a wide receiver to catch, on average, a pass a game? James, does that sound like you're getting your money's worth? Because to me... That sounds like a waste of everybody's time. Putting Traquan Smith in a Saints uniform and even putting him on the field sounds like a waste of everybody's time. So why don't you cut him and let him go on and play on a team that's desperate for wide receivers? I hear Denver struggling to find some. Well, they've only been grabbing Saints players this whole time. 
Just continue the list. Lil Jordan Humphrey, Marquez Callaway, Adam Trotman. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sean, you can have him. We'll we'll even throw you a seventh-round pick if you want to just trade for him. Make it quick and painless. Anyways, 437, we'll take a timeout here and we return. We're playing STM Cougar baseball in hour number two. Let's have a conversation with the coach of the St. Thomas Moore Cougars. Cass Hargis joined us earlier this week to preview their matchup with De La Salle, and he joins us next. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, getting you set for St. Thomas Moore and De La Salle right here on the game. Pre-game getting underway here shortly. But before we do that, earlier this week, we had a conversation with STM head baseball coach Cass Hargis about the season and what to expect in Sulphur this weekend. Coach, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, let, let's look at the season. Let's kind of recap it. You know, you started the season with a 4-3 loss to Sam Houston. You went on the road, played a couple of games in Texas, picked up a win over Notre Dame, picked up a win over Sulphur, had a three-game series with St. Louis Catholic. My first question for you is teams like Sam Houston, Washita Christian, Notre Dame, Jesuit, Sulphur, St. Louis, all these teams that are – have made it just as far as you have so far in the state tournament. How did those games early on in the season prepare you for the run that you made in the second half? Uh, I think that's exactly it. That's why we put the schedule together the way we did. Um, I know a bunch of teams that we played are still playing. And even when we went over to Texas, we went to Texas and played four 6A high schools over there who are really good. And that was done by design. Um, going through that gauntlet of a schedule, uh, probably at the time we we couldn't see the benefit of it, but you're definitely seeing it now. Um, I don't think that we're going to see anything in this in this week in Sulphur that we hadn't seen already. Our our kids are going to be prepared, and our, our kids are going to be ready for you know that atmosphere against that quality opponent because we've done it already. Now we we talked about the the struggling first half of the season, but then the second half, the the Cougars were able to win 11 straight games, including the district tournament. To, to close out the regular season. Talk about that run and what you saw out of your team during that 11-game run. Yeah, uh, we started to play really good baseball. Early on, uh, yeah, the quality opponent had something to do with it, but we really just weren't playing clean baseball, and we knew that. We knew it was going to take a little bit of uh, time for us to kind of come together and figure some things. Um, ironically enough, the first time that we played Turlings, we lost 4-3. to three. And if you were to ask me for a turning point in our season, I would point to that game right there because we, we competed, we played a hit when we needed to. And then after that game, um, we went to North Vermillion and we got the hit when we needed it. And ever since then, we hadn't looked back. We started to play really good baseball, and it's been fun. And then so far in the playoffs, sweeps over Archbishop Hannon and Buckeye High School. Talk about those two series and you know the, the way that those series went for you guys to be now headed to Sulphur for the state semifinals. 
the first series against Hannon, we were a three seed. They were the 14 seed. Um, they, they were a really good 14 seed. They were a really good team. They were an old team. Um, we were coming off of a 10-day layoff, and, and we played like it. We played like we had 10 days off. Uh, but we did manage to play well enough to win that series. I think that series kind of got the rust knocked off, knocked off of us. And this past weekend against Buckeye, we, we played really good baseball. Um, we've been playing really well the last few weeks, and, and I'd probably point to last weekend as as good as we've played in the last month or so. And hopefully that's a sign of things to come. All right, Coach, let's let's brag on your team a little bit now. Talk to me about these three pitchers that I've heard a lot about. Uh, Noah Melanson, who has signed with Nichols. Thomas Cuvion, who has signed with UL. And then the junior, Will Taylor, who is currently committed to the Raging Cajuns. <laughs> they make it easy on us, I'll tell you that. Um, um, those three guys... They've they've been our workhorses. Uh, they've they've kind of carried us through the season. And early on, when we were struggling, it, they were still pitching well. Uh, maybe not pitching as well as we needed them to win games. But the the last month, and you know, Noah has been awesome. Uh, I think he's had it got broken up against Buckeye, but I think at one point he had 17 straight scoreless innings. Um, Thomas Cuvion, he, he's he started games for us. He's come out of the bullpen and saved games for us. Uh, he's kind of done a little bit of everything for us, and then Will Taylor. He's he started. I think he started ten ball games. He's won six of them. Uh, all three of them. Uh, they all look a little bit different. Thomas is a big lefty. Noah, Will, both right-handed pitchers. They attack the zone. They're able to throw two pitches for a strike. They work fast. They fill up the strike zone, and they're fun to watch pitch. And for our guys on defense, it's fun to play defense against them because. The, you know, they catch it, get right back on the rubber, throw the next pitch, and it, most of the time it's a strike. The ball gets put in play. Uh, they, they've kind of set the tone for us at the front of our rotation, and the offense is fed off of that. Coach Cass Hargis joining us here on Crunch Time. Coach, you, you talked about the offense feeding off your pitchers. Talk about your offense this season. You know, what stood out? Are, are there particular players that have made an impact for you guys? Uh, what can our listeners expect out of the Cougars' offense? But the thing about our offense, and yes, we, there's there's been particular guys up and down throughout our lineup. But as a whole, our one through nine is capable of beating you in several different ways. Uh, Tanner Hornback, he he's kind of our a guy that gets us going. He's going to start at shortstop. He's going to lead off for us. He kind of does a little bit of everything. Um, the middle of our order: Jacob Fralick, Colton Harrison, Hayden Hernandez, and Cade Wilkerson. When those guys are good, we're good. Um, and, and then really, I really like to brag on the bottom of our lineup. Uh, Braden Morgan, Brendan Doyle, and Andrew Carrier have been awesome for us. Uh, those guys, they're, they're asked to bunt, they're asked to steal, they're asked to hit and run, and they do it all. And when those guys are really good, our offense is kind of scary. Um, and that's what it was last weekend. We were able to bunt for hits. We were able to squeeze. We were able to hit a few home runs. We kind of can do a little bit of everything. Um, and anyone in our order can do any one of those things. That's the fun part about watching us play. Coach, you know, looking at STM and looking at the baseball history, there is a rich history, but there's been a little couple up and down years here over the last couple of seasons. Uh, How hungry is this group to to get back to lifting a trophy? Extremely hungry. They're they're very hungry. You know, we sat out at the beginning of the year and, you know, the obvious goal is to win the state championship, but more important to us was how do we do that? Like it's all, it's one thing to say it, but how, what do we have to do and what's the process of us to put ourselves in a position to do that? And where we landed on was 
number one, let's let's be as good as we can possibly be at the end of the year, and I think we're close to that. And the other thing was to finish in the top four of the power rankings. That way we're playing at home all the way through Sulphur, and we've done that. And now we're in a position to go out and do something that the school hadn't really done in a while. I think it's been since 2015 since we won it all. Um, but what we talked about this week was that we can't win the state championship until Saturday. So what are we going to do between now and Saturday to put ourselves in that position? Um, we have a, a few really good days of practice and then come out on Wednesday and play as good as we can to give ourselves the best chance. But these kids are very hungry uh, to get back to that. And lastly, Coach, you know what have you seen out of your opponent for, for this afternoon in De La Salle? Uh, they're they're going to be good. They have a really good starting pitcher. Uh, I think they're kind of a mirror image of us. Um, and honestly, in our, in our division, I think all four teams that are left are very similar. We've seen St. Louis. We've seen, uh, we haven't seen Vanderbilt, but they're very similar to us. And I think any one of these four, obviously the team that plays the best is going to win. But any one of these four could be that team that, that wins. So uh, we're just looking to be the team that, that plays the best this week, and hopefully it falls in our favor. Coach Cass Hargis joining us here on Crunch Time. Coach, really appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck this week, and hopefully you guys can bring a, a golden piece of hardware back to Lafayette. <laughs> That's the plan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And there he goes, head coach Cass Hargis of the STM Cougars. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. For a chance to win a brand new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up. LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Wrapping up hour number one. We're going to have a really short hour number two. I was going to be turning it over to Danny Jones of the STM Cougars baseball team. It was really good that we got to talk with Cass Hargis just a moment ago. I completely forgot that Kevin Foote, even though he's not as big into basketball anymore because like he had mentioned before, he would have a heart attack. It, it, it gives him aneurysms, yes. It, he likes the Lakers. He is a Lakers guy. He, I I completely forgot about that. So that hurt my heart having to hear, you know, hear that foot promo. We, we, we joke about the NBA and really pro sports in general being rigged. You know how I'll know it's rigged? If the NBA Finals is the Celtics and Lakers. If that is the NBA Finals, I will know that the league is rigged. Because for the NBA, is there a better Finals matchup than the two most successful franchises 
in the history of the association. The two teams with the most hardware. Correct. Is there a better matchup? Is there a more classic matchup? Not really. That writes itself. That is a marketing promotional. Oh, they would have a field dream. day. Dream. They would have a field day. It writes itself. And then, not to mention, it would be LeBron back in the finals again. You'd have Anthony Davis back in the finals as well, and then you'd have the young Bucks and Jason, and Jason Tatum, Tatum and Jalen Brown. Brown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, it's just like see. it'd be like the old age and the new age with the historic rivalry of both franchises. One of the greatest of all time. If the Celtics come back and win this series, things are going to be fishy. Things are going to be fishy. And then if they beat Miami, then things are really going to be fishy. But, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, real quick, the Houston Astros lead the Los Angeles Angels 5-2 to two in the bottom of the sixth. A solo homer in the first inning by, guess who? Jordan Alvarez. And then a infield single by Jake Myers, followed by a two-run single by Jeremy Pena, has made it 5-2 to two in the bottom of the sixth. Christian Javier started the game for the Houston Astros. He's pitched five straight innings. He's given up two runs. He has struck out eight, and he has only walked one. His first, at, his first appearance of the game in the bottom of the first – he got a strikeout of Taylor Ward. He got a strikeout of Mike Trout. And he got a strikeout of Shohei Otani. I don't know that you could have a better start in a game against the Angels. You, you, you struck out both of their superstars. And then one of their shiny new toys in Taylor Ward. Absolutely incredible. Hour number one. In the books, we'll come back with Who Dat Wednesday, and then we'll send you to Sulphur and the voice of the STM Cougars, Danny Jones, for STM and De La Salle right here on the game. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we recapped college baseball from last night. LSU picking up a win, Cajuns dropping one on the road. We also set you up with the conference tournaments in softball, what's happening with McNeese, LSU, and UL. By the way, quick update from the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Coastal Carolina eliminated Southern Miss with a walk-off home run earlier today. That is a brutal way to lose a postseason softball game. We also talked about Foster Moreau signing a three-year contract with the Saints. Let's get a little deeper into that, plus talk rookie minicamp with our guy Brendan Ertle. It's time for Who That Wednesday. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Who That Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Brendan, what's going on, my man? How are you? What's up? Doing good. Uh, you know, I, I've, I feel like we had some good news today overall about the Saints, so that's always a good thing, and we got actual football to talk about this weekend as well. 
Yeah, no, no kidding. Absolutely. Uh, you know, rookie minicamp coming up for the New Orleans Saints this weekend. Uh, let's start with the Foster Moreau news, though. A three-year, $12 million deal, uh, $8 million fully guaranteed. Some incentives sprinkled in, in there as well. Uh, give me your thoughts on the deal and, and what he can do for the New Orleans Saints offense considering his relationship with Derek Carr. Man, I, I love it. I, I love everything about it. There's nothing not to love. Three years, $12 million, around, you know, four per year, and it won't look like that, but that's great value for them because he's a great blocker, he's a great receiver, and it's someone that, you know, Carr kind of relied on uh, when Darren Waller missed time a lot last year, and um, he's a serviceable guy. I, I think he's, I think his best football is, is in front of him, and I think he's played better football in the NFL than he did in college. He's just, he's getting better and better. And obviously the big news with him was the uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and how that would affect him. And that's someone that we always talked about, you know, uh, we could put him on the NFI list and he could play whenever he's ready and work his way back. But the thing about this situation that has been surprising and is just an A-plus signing is that it sounds like he's ready to go, like, now. Like, he's ready to go next week. He's been cleared to play. He's been uh, he's done what he's needed to do. And um, the Saints said they'll take their time with him. And I'm sure that he's not going to be, you know, full pads ready to go tomorrow. But it's just great news overall. I don't even really care about the football side. I'm just glad that he can, you know, go out there and, and, and work out and feel like feel like himself. So overall, great news. And uh, for the Saints side of things, if you told me we traded Adam Troutman, a seventh-round pick for A.T. Perry and Foster Rowe, would you take that deal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I absolutely would. But, you know, one, one, another thing that I've thought about with this deal is now you've brought in Foster Moreau. You brought in Jarvis Landry last year. You brought in Tyron Matthew last year. Is it time for the Saints to start drafting LSU players? Um, well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, that would just be too much, man, it, especially hometown Yeah, kids. God, that, uh, makes, that makes too much sense, right? Yeah, Jeez. way too much sense. We can't ask for everything to be perfect. But <laughs> – I feel like in these situations, it's just it's made them. It's just made so much sense. Tyre Matthew last year didn't really have a home for a while. Um, you think about the Honey Badger having to wait till after the draft to find find a home was was really interesting to me. And Jarvis Andrew, you know, at the back end of his career, um, just worked out with him as well. But if you ask me honestly, and I'm going to be blunt about this, the moves they've made these past two seasons. I've really liked, and we'll see if they turn into wins. But if you ask me, you know, you go back and look at other off seasons. These past two off seasons with Dennis Allen, I've really liked, and some other past off seasons, um, I haven't been, you know, as big of a fan as. Free agency was great, draft was great, and they're starting off the second wave of free agency great. So uh, we'll see if they can translate it to wins but i think they've been doing all the right thing yeah that's what i was that's what i was about to say the off seasons have been great can the regular season be great now mm-hmm. yeah um, and that's a big question now let's talk about rookie minicamp what are your expectations obviously the the eyes are going to be on the, your drafted rookies your brian brissy kendra miller isaiah foskey uh what, what are you what are you expecting about uh with rookie minicamp this weekend you know, rookie minicamp is tough. I think it's just it's cool to just get everyone out there and see what you got. And, you know, who the players are going to stand out for sure are 
you know, A.T. Perry, Kendra Miller, those guys are going to stand out because they're offensive skill positions. They're not fully tackling. They probably aren't going to be in full pads or probably be in spiders. So uh, just overall, we're not going to see a ton from Brian Brzee. We're not going to see a ton from Isaiah Foskey. It'll be more technique stuff. So this, this weekend will be uh, more about the offensive skill positions. We'll see a lot from Jake Hayner. So um, now is the time for overreactions. And, you know, I'm fine with that. We have, we have players to actually talk about. We have football players that we're going to be talking about them playing football uh, for the first time in a long time. So it's just kind of that, you know, put your foot in the water kind of thing. But uh, I expect and hopefully um, it's all good things from the skill positions and there's not any, you know, drop issues or playbook issues. You'd hope all those guys stand out in this early period. Is is there one guy that you're looking at in particular with with bigger eyes than maybe the other ones, whether it's an undrafted guy or a drafted guy? I, I think, you know, Brzee and Foskey, I think they'll they'll find their way to produce. I don't think either are gonna be, you know, ten plus sack guys in year one. I mean, they very well could be. Um I, I think Jake Hanner will have his role on the team. But I think the the guy who could really burst onto the scene is Kendra Miller because uh we all know the situation is Alvin Kamara. We all uh, we all know how good Jamal Williams was in the red zone this year, but you really put them both out there. Let's say Kamara's not not ready to go week one. Let's say he's suspended. You're ro- you're rolling with Jamal Williams and Kendra Miller. Um, in that situation, you got two kind of similar runners, so you're not going to um, do too much of of one or the other. Uh, is Kendra Miller going to go out there and just steal steal the show? Um, I think if you have all three out there. Jamal Williams might be the odd man out if if Miller is everything that we think he is. So, and that'd be awesome. I'd love to have that problem to have too many running backs. Um, and I don't think this is an, an Adrian Peterson situation. Um, it's definitely a different situation. I think it's a similar situation where Kamara stepped into a room with veterans and kind of took some of their snaps. And I would love for him to come take some snaps. I think Kendrick Miller could be the real surprise. And uh, they've been pretty good at drafting running backs, like we've said. So. Um, I'm really looking forward to you know that first preseason game and to see how he looks in in actual contact. Chatting with Brendan Ertle here on Crunch Time for Who Dat Wednesday. No international game for the Saints this year. Schedule does come out tomorrow though. Week one, the New Orleans Saints will be playing who? <sighs> um. See, I. I I'm happy. I'm kind of sort of happy about that uh, international trip. I, I think it took a lot out of them last year. I think um, they weren't probably super smart to take not take the buy after that game. I think they would have been better off taking the buy after that game. They didn't. Uh, they took it later, and it just didn't work out. So I'm glad we only have to deal with that. Uh, they were playing majority of their games indoors, so I do like that. But with that being said, week one, I would love to see – Probably the Carolina Panthers. I know that it's, it's there's a rumor out there that Panthers might be playing Atlanta Week One. I would love to see the Panthers early, so you know they could play Andy Dalton and not Bryce Young. Um, yeah, I'd also point. love to see Tampa early, get a divisional opponent. Um, so if if we're doing divisional games Week One, I'd love to see Tampa and a new offense. You know they have a ton of new pieces there, so um, get them before maybe they can figure out what what's going on with, with their team. But I'd also love to see. Um, maybe maybe Green Bay. Uh, I don't I don't want to go there late in the season when it's freezing cold and um, then if Derek Carr doesn't play amazing, then we got the oh this team can't 
can't go on the road in the playoffs because Derek Carr can't play in the cold. I would just love to just avoid all those narratives and um, play play Green Bay early in the season. I'd, so I wouldn't be opposed to that, but you went to Green Bay to open the year two years ago. Mm. I don't know. I don't know that you do that again. Well, that was a home game technically, and it was in Jacksonville. Oh, that's right. That's right. It wasn't in Green. I just remember them not being in the dome, and I just my my mind is that's right. That's right. Yeah, that, um, that worked out pretty good, though, huh? Yeah, I mean, th- it, absolutely, it did. What was it, thirty-five to three or something like that? Um, yeah, and and if, if we got that team later on that year, I, I'm sure it would have looked much 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 different. different absolutely. Um, but look, you know, you brought up Tampa and figuring out things with their teams. Who's, who's going to play quarterback for them? See, I think they have to give it to Baker at first. But I think eventually it would go to Kyle Trask. I, I don't really know. Um, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. I'm glad we don't have to talk about that. I'm glad we have a quarterback. Right. Uh, other other teams that are in a similar situation that you know I'd like to see earlier, Houston with C.J. Stroud, uh, maybe Indianapolis with Anthony Richard. Um, Richardson, I, I, he is someone that you know kind of scares me. Um, it's kind of like that Jalen Hurts, where he—I don't remember what year it was, but we went to Philly, and it was one of his first games starting, and he just ripped us apart on the on the ground. And I would love to not have that situation again. So I don't know if he's going to start right away or or whatever, but I would love to see him early in his NFL career. Uh, I just don't want to get gassed by him. Brendan Ertle joining us here for Who Dat Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate your time as always, my friend. Uh, ha- have a great weekend, and we'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. Let's do it. And there he goes, Brendan Ertle from Canal Street Chronicles. The NFL schedule getting released tomorrow. So, of course, anything that drops beforehand, we will let you know about it on our social media channels. Again, looking at... The Astros, 5-2 in the top of the eighth. They lead the Los Angeles Angels tonight. You've got the Heat and Knicks. You've got the Lakers and Warriors game five in both of those series. And, of course, much more going on throughout the weekend as conference tournaments for softball get underway. Big series for both LSU and UL as well as McNeese. And a whole lot more tomorrow. James Mesh will be in the Master Control Suite. I will be at Lampson Park for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Four to six right here on the game. Jay Walker and Jerry Glasgow going to join us. But for now, let's go to Sulphur. Danny Jones has the call of STM and Dale LaSalle. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Hug your mom and them. We're back tomorrow, four to six.